and welcome to Female Leaders with Courage, Series 2, Podcast 5. Uh, this is one episode that I've been really looking forward to that all of our listeners, I think, will absolutely love, get lots from. I have got the wonderful uh, Vicky Louise with me today who helps anxious overachievers get more done in less time. So I know we have lots of overachievers that listen. And I know as women, we will all suffer with anxiety to some varying degrees. So we're going to explore that today. And Vicky has got a self-confessed, no bullshit approach, which I love. So Vicky, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us about uh, how you F-U-C-K anxiety. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I'm a coach. I specialize in helping people manage their brain around anxiety and procrastination. And I'm very passionate about the fact that we are never taught about our human brain and how it is wired not to be happy all the time. It's wired for survival, which means things like conserve energy and avoid any potential failure or rejection or anything goes going wrong. And for my ambitious you know, high achievers, it's like they have the urge to do more. And then a year later, they're still talking about their dream and not actually doing something, forgetting that their brain is highly motivated to keep them in an okay job or an okay relationship or not going for that big client or that next growth. And then we end up in a lot of self-judgment and shame around, I should be doing more. I should know better. I All the I shoulds. And that also holds us back so really um the reason why i do this work and the reason in particular why i launched my podcast which is called fuck anxiety and get shit done but i do spell it the polite way it's like f asterisk ck anxiety (laughs) Um, and the, the reason why i do i really let into this was from my own story and experience with anxiety and we can get onto that afterwards but not finding any clear concise practical tools that I could implement hearing a lot of sob story around it and like pity and a lot and and really looking for a voice that was gonna you know I, I use the word empower but you know like empower me motivate me inspire me into not there's something wrong with me but there's something solvable and I'm human and I can use this you know to grow and to up level not to like my life's purpose isn't to fight with my anxiety and fight with myself I can do more. I really like that. And actually, do you know what? It's really interesting because everywhere you go, you know, anxiety is that buzzword, isn't it? You know, and we've really got to focus on mental health, which we should have because what we don't want to do is sweep mental health under the carpet. But sometimes when you bring things out from under the carpet, they become this all-encompassing thing. So talk to us about anxiety and how you got into it and the sort of different levels of anxiety. Mm. Yeah, so I was a coach before I specialized um, and two people came to me and said, can you help with anxiety? And I was like, no, you need to go to a doctor. Like, what? You're crazy. Like everything that I'd heard about anxiety was like very extreme and worst case scenario, medication and all all of those kind of things. Um, And then I found myself waking up in the mornings, this is about two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago, time flies by, um, waking up in the morning into like sweat and heat and my heart pounding and my brain spinning with a million thoughts and my eyes wide open, feeling like, like, like my thoughts were like 
forcing me awake. We really, I was waking up into a panic attack and, um, and then it would calm down and I would get on with my day. And I, and I got away with it for about two weeks before my partner, who's now my husband said, Vicky, like what's been happening to you the last two weeks? How are you waking up? I don't think it's normal. Like something's definitely changed. And I was like, oh, that probably makes sense. Cause I guess I wasn't always like this. And I started to have conversations with people. And one of my friends was like, it sounds like anxiety. And I was like, no, 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 because I have that in the morning and then I get on with my day. And what I've heard about anxiety was like so extreme, like you're not going to get out of bed, you need medication, you can't function. And she was like, no, that's, that's not always the case. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to go to Dr. Google and find out what anxiety is since my information is wrong. So I Google searched what is anxiety and it came up with, anxiety is a generalized feeling of worry apprehension and fear or something like that and I was like sorry what like that's not helped me at all so I so when am I feeling worried and when am I feeling anxious when am I feeling apprehensive and when I'm like you can't describe a feeling with other feelings (laughs) um so I was like that's not really helped but okay I can see like the kind of thing that it is objective to people as well isn't it because what one person worries about you know like worry like I could worry about what we're going to have to but somebody's worry you know the scales of worry isn't there so you know you're right you know emotions are so subjective how do you get any sense from that exactly I mean one of the things that I do with my clients my clients is I get them to define exactly what anxiety is for them so for me it was obviously like a heat and a sweat and a heart pounding and a swirling in my brain but for some of my clients it can be tingles up and down their arms some of them it can be a nausea in their stomach or a feeling in their throat or whatever it might be because even that difference of oh I know exactly what's happening instead of is gonna keep us calm so we don't go around the rabbit hole of further anxiety The second thing, and this really slapped me in the face, um, was, and it was from medical websites, uh, like government medical websites. It said, one in five American adults will suffer from an anxiety disorder. And my background is statistics, finance, numbers, economics, total geek over here. And uh, I was like, one in five is a disorder. Like 20% of a population size of 100 million people sounds like a trend which tells me there's a reason why we have it so and I've seen that time and time again now in my career people come to me and say my kids like they're so worried about their kids and like there's something wrong with them and they're broken and they need to be fixed and I'm like be careful what you're telling your kids because I have other clients that come to me and say from when I was 10 I've been told that I'm broken now being told that you're broken is more damaging than the anxiety itself so I really and, and I go into this more on my podcast, the science behind why it exists in terms of our evolution and how it was a survival skill and how the ability to run faster, longer, allowed our predecessors to survive in the wild. And they passed that down to us and, you know, really a little bit geeking out about that side of things. But for anyone listening, even if you don't go and listen, I would just recommend to to take that step back and think about how you are speaking to people and treating people if they have anxiety like they're fine that's like it's really interesting when you say you know one in five americans would be interested to know the uk statistics but actually when you you're right it's like it's like a trend but actually sometimes when you you hear that one in five and you you know people say i've got anxiety i've got anxiety actually it's a bit like when you say a word over and over again it loses its meaning Mm. but actually you know 
Anxiety is actually quite a serious thing because it can be quite debilitating for some people. I know you said, you know, should I just stay in bed? Or, but people do take weeks and months away to just regroup. And sometimes it can be burnout and, you know, no better time now with the pandemic. You know, a lot of people are facing anxiety, burnout and lots of emotional well-being, mental health problems. So how are you seeing that at the moment? Are you seeing that there is that real spike and trend and you know people don't know where to go or that you know they're sort of almost numb to what anxiety could be an interesting thing that happened during corona for some people is they could really understand and justify having anxiety so they weren't judging themselves as much for having it so they actually had an easier time because they were like well it's normal to have anxiety now and i think when the dialogue around it is, it's not normal and there's something wrong with you if you have anxiety, which could have been the conversation this time last year, that feeds into anxiety, right? If someone's telling you what you are going through is not normal and that that is, um, there's a problem and there's danger, that literally is the function of anxiety and why it exists. So for some people actually during this time, they felt more at peace with the experience of it. And they actually really like the the anxiety itself is not dangerous like we survive 100 percent panic attacks because i mean even me like when i was having them every day then then themselves weren't harmful and i'm almost glad that i didn't know what it was for that first two weeks because i didn't go into that story of oh my god i have panic attacks that must mean there's something wrong with me i literally was functioning by having them in the morning so by the time i figured out what it was i, I was like oh i can have I can have that reaction and also function later in my day. Now it's different for everyone. And I think this is really important. I think that there is, there are people, if you cannot get out of bed and you cannot hold down a job and you cannot go to the supermarket, I am, I, then that's like, I don't work with clients that are like non-functioning at all, but the majority of people with anxiety are able to function to a level but when we hear about the worst case scenario and our brain is designed to look for the worst case scenario, that's a survival skill, right? If I'm in front of some berries and I'm like, maybe they're poisonous, maybe they're not, my brain's going to tell me don't eat them. So when that mechanism comes into play, then our brain is immediately drawn to the worst case scenario. Is there something wrong with me? Am I non-functioning? Is my whole life going to be ruined? Is everything going to change? All of that, which create literally like pours gasoline on the anxiety fire so it like flares up and then add to that there's so much confusing misinformation and then we have conversations with other people that like uh, with the best intentions also don't know what they're speaking about like literally me a few years ago when someone said can you help with anxiety and I said no you need to go to a doctor I didn't know that I was giving them wrong information I thought I was helping but I was completely feeding the story that there was something major wrong with them when like, I don't, I don't know. I never got to that place with them of like, are you able to get out of bed and hold down a job? I was just like, whoa, anxiety, like coaching is not for anxiety. And I was wrong. So all of these yeah, facts. Probably anxious yourself about their anxiety. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, I'm not going to help with that. That's, that's a big problem. No, but now looking back, I can see like I've had, you know, anxiety my whole life in different forms, just like all of us do. It's, it's completely normal but it's just the scale of where it is and I think when we try and like put ourselves in a box of like I'm an anxious person we're missing the fact that like I'm a person that sometimes has anxiety and that's a completely different spin on things 
So what starts some, because you're right, anxiety is an emotion that is, is there and has been wired in a, you know, for survival. When does it get to a point? Because obviously there is such a high kind of awareness of it and 25 people in the US have got it. What is it that you think is contributing, contributing to it being an overpowering emotion? Right. Also, by the way, I'll just give you the fun statistic. Globally, the World Health Organization says one in 13 people. So that's like 8% of 7, 8 billion. So we're talking about a lot of people because it's not a disorder, it's a trend. That's a higher statistic than COVID. <laughs> right. I mean, it's literally, and that's, and they, and they don't say have anxiety, they say have an anxiety disorder. That's the interesting point there because it's such a high percentage. There's nothing else. There's no study that I've ever looked at that's been like 8% of 8 billion is, is a disorder. It's seriously a trend. 1% of 8 billion is still a trend. Um, so that's interesting. And um, did you ask me what people can do about it? What triggers it? So what, what, what triggers makes it from a normal, because yeah. you don't ever see, you know, uh, 1% of 1 billion are happy or you know it's an emotion so so what is it that's making this become such a a focus and what kicks it off in people is this lifestyle or pressure or social media you know what what triggers it what triggered it for you yeah so the way I teach it is all of our emotions come from our thoughts right if I'm thinking I've got too much on my plate I can't deal I'm going to be feeling a different emotion than if I'm thinking I had such a wonderful day today (laughs) So we have um, around 60,000 thoughts a day. Most of them are in our subconscious. So it's this this conscious thoughts that we choose to have. Like I consciously, when I worked in corporate, was like women deserve an equal say in the boardroom. And my subconscious brain when I was in the boardroom would say, yeah, but your opinion isn't valid and you don't want to look stupid in front of this room full of men. I was like, oh, so so I would believe it, right? And... So often our brain is so finely tuned. It's like a computer that's been tuned very finely and very powerfully for survival. And it works so quickly that we don't even always capture the thought that creates the anxiety. I'll give you an example. Someone can, um, I'm trying to think about something that's not too out there. Someone could have like seen a car crash when they were younger, like a terrible car crash with like a red Fiat. And years later they can be in a conversation with someone and a red fiat drives by and they experience a lot of anxiety now they're like it just came up from out of nowhere but it doesn't didn't just come out of nowhere it's just our brain is so efficient and wired to keep us alive that it like sees one thing and it gets the process the survival mechanism in place um but yeah really it's our thoughts create the anxiety and then what happens next is the chemicals are released and then our brain is also very cleverly wired for like the experience of anxiety tells us that we're in danger our body signals back up to our brain oh we have anxiety that must mean we're in danger and then we end up with the whole chemical reaction and it just compounds with the like this shouldn't be happening i need this to stop this is a terrible thing this is uncomfortable i can't deal with this this is you know people will tell me that they have thoughts like i'm dying i'm dying i'm gonna die when they're experiencing anxiety now that's gonna create more anxiety but it's still a thought it's not a fact and really some of the things that I teach my clients are you know exactly what's happening let's define it you know exactly why it's happening and that comes twofold partly from our evolution and what I teach a little bit about the science and partly from how to identify exactly what was going on in your brain 
right before, which is what I teach them. And the third thing is I know 100% I'm going to survive it because I've survived it before. Now, having those really simple steps is so powerful. And that's what I think is missing in the mainstream dialogue around anxiety is just really simple. What do I do? What do I tell myself in that moment instead of feeling helpless, feeling powerless and believing that there's something wrong, um, which is where we tend to spin out. And do you think that, because we've talked about social media on this podcast quite a lot and how it contributes to, um, you know, that anxiety and worry of not being good enough or, you know, people live their life on social media that actually when you turn the social media cameras off, it probably, you know, the house isn't quite as nice and, you know, the cake probably fell apart and the kids probably, you know, two minutes later after that perfect picture picking their nose, whatever. We don't see that, but actually it sets us all up to go, well, God, my life's shit. I don't look like that. Right. Here's what happens. Here's the problem. And I am quite passionate about this, so I'm glad you brought it up. We go to social media when we're bored, when we're, when we're like feeling a bit low, like not in our best, I'm not like feeling amazing, like, oh, I feel amazing. Let me go scroll social media. We go at it low. And then we compare our worst to someone else's best five seconds of their week. And literally, I had this with a client today. Uh, compare and despair we call it and it's like comparing to a standard that isn't inhuman so we're like it's it's completely taken away it teaches you that our brain really believes what it sees so we better be careful what we're putting in front of it and yeah I think that it contributes to more of the not good enough and more of that I'm doing it wrong and really like we tend to compare ourselves to only to people that we think are doing it better. So like, I won't notice, and I spoke about this on a podcast episode, like I could have a friend that has an amazing home, but is single and another friend that is in a loving relationship, but you know, doesn't, doesn't have a comfortable living life, living standards. And that my brain by design will compare my relationship status to the one that will make me feel bad and the living situation to the one that will make me feel bad instead of like looking neutrally at someone's complete life. So we really compare our worst to their best, not just as a whole, but really what we pick. And remember, we're always choosing what we compare people to. We think like, oh, they, their life is better. But like you just said, based on what, what is better? Because are you looking at every element of their life? No, you're seeing a picture on social media and deciding that that must be how their life always is. And we know that it's not because we're not like that. Like I'm not on social media 100% of the time. So no one else is. And I'm definitely not like having an argument with my husband and like, excuse me, wait a second. I'm going to put my Instagram on so we can capture this live for everyone to see. Like it's just not how it operates. We know that logically, but our brain designed to think about the worst case scenario and to protect us and all of these things is like danger yeah and what about in terms of that there's also that fear of rejection isn't there where people you know they think again if they put something especially twitter i mean god i've come with twitter because it's just unbearable you you know if you're on twitter for more than 20 seconds you are going to end up with some anxiety because you post something the next thing somebody is like straight there trolling you um i had a friend actually tell me i went for dinner the other night story and he's the editor of a magazine and he put a picture from the magazine on there because that's kind of what you do right um and it's a picture of these ducks gorgeous ducks 
Um, so this guy was like, well, uh, I think it's really inappropriate that you're posting pictures of ducks. And he was like, who are you to judge me? And go away. Like, I will do what I want to do. And he's like, how is it somebody else's opinion of what I post and what I don't post? But it's just an example that you just post because you want to just share what you love. But somebody's always got a bloody opinion. <laughs> and like... it stops us from, oh, I can't do that because someone's going to have an opinion. And, and you live in this world, in this turmoil of, I'm going to get shot down. And then mm. you stop doing things that give you pleasure. Mm, yeah. It's really like we have to remember everyone's brains by design are designed to be judgmental. That's how we survived as well. This looks dangerous. This looks scary. So now we don't need that judgmental skill for survival, really, because we live in apartments or homes and we have food and supermarkets and we're not out facing animals in the wild. So that judgmental habit and, and skill just gets laid on to all other people. And what you said about the fear of failure like really the three most dangerous things that our brain is always looking to avoid is exposure, failure, and rejection. And social media opens us up to all of them. Everything, yeah, it does. And actually you'll have 10 lovely comments and that one comment is the one that stays with you and you ruminate for weeks and stops you doing it again and you kind of go, there were nine lovely comments there because that 10th yeah. one is dangerous and our brains are obsessed with keeping us out of danger like literally by design so yeah it's going to focus on the one negative one but again i think it's interesting with social media and for your friend because we get to teach our brain that rejection and failure and exposure are no longer dangerous and we do that by continuing to take action continuing to experience the failure and rejection and even i think about failure and rejection i think are the two quickest ways to success right like the more I'm willing to fail the more I am succeeding a hundred percent and what tends to happen for so many people and this is like my people right the people that I work with like ambitious they want to get out there but their brain's telling them not to fail and it's like the failure literally the avoidance of failure literally costs them success and it's a lesson isn't it failure it's a lesson it's kind of like, okay well, we won't do that let's try another way let's try another way let's try another way yeah, it's like a hypothesis. It's like, oh, I want to, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something. Like, I want to get my book, like, get on the New York Times bestseller list. And, you know, and it's like that first maybe getting published with, like, a professional editor. Like, yeah, maybe you're going to get rejected 29 times and get it right the 30th. But that was your method for figuring it out. You're not supposed to figure it out the first time. Like, you're supposed to figure it out and learn by doing. And the beautiful thing about that is once you've figured it out and learned by doing, the next book, you're probably not going to get 29 rejections because you're going to be so much smarter. And that's how we earn our success. And another big thing that comes up with my clients is like imposter syndrome. So even when there is success, it's like everything, and especially with women, I see this. So anything that's bad is like totally my fault. I caused it. And anything that's good was just luck. I don't even know how it happened. And I'm like, no. So we give ourselves all the credit for all the bad and none of the credit for the good. And I think what's powerful about coaching or, you know, and people can do this even from listening to this, I recommend doing it. It's like sit with how you created the result and the fails that you had and what you learned along the way. That success blueprint is like the key to you continuing to create what you want. And when we attribute our success to luck, we're like literally taking away future success. 
I love it. So, so tell me, so if there's somebody listening that goes, yeah, maybe I've got anxiety and maybe it's actually stopping me from, you know, it's a real barrier and I'm not able to quite hike over it. What would you say, what, what's the first thing that they need to start to do? Because it's obviously a mindset thing. What, what, what would you recommend? So this is going to be interesting, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, one of the big things that happens when people first start working with me is actually they're giving all the energy to fighting the anxiety. I had someone tell me like, so yesterday I like swept the floors for two hours to get rid of the anxiety or someone will say I meditated all day yesterday and you know, all these different things to try and get rid of the anxiety. So the reason I do anxiety and procrastination together is because the anxiety, fighting the anxiety stops us from getting things done. And then the less we get done, the more anxiety we have. And we get caught up in that loop completely. So one of the things that I recommend for people listening, if you're experiencing anxiety is we don't need to put our life on hold and wait for it to be at zero to get things done. And if we were really doing that, we would never get things done because the first step is really understanding that anxiety is normal. It's a physiological reaction. It's vibrations in our body just the same way as anger. Like people, you know, have an anger disorder. We don't say 20% of people have it. We say like 1%, for example. But, you know, I can experience in a day, like heightened anger about, you know, whatever. And then I don't spend the rest of the day judging myself because of it. And that's the problem with anxiety is we have the anxiety and then we get so much anxiety about the anxiety. That's like really what I work with people on. So really number one stop judging yourself and number two the anxiety doesn't have to be a stop sign you might change what you're doing you might micro task you might you know i really believe in doing less to achieve more um so you might just say okay all i need to do today is just one more thing and then it's a successful day that's going to change your whole experience then i can't do anything because of this and i'm a failure and i'm fucking up and you know going down that rabbit hole just like i'm going to do one thing today so I'd really recommend anyone listening to a judging yourself is not helpful and not necessary and really is, is 50% of the problem at least. And B think about like, what is one thing that I know that I can do? So for my client that had spent two hours sweeping, which it wasn't on her to-do list, maybe instead she could have looked, not that I believe in to-do lists, but another time, um, but maybe instead she could have said, Oh, this afternoon I had a plan to, you know, finish off designing my presentation and walk the dog and, you know, go to the supermarket and she can be like, okay, I'm going to walk the dog. That's, that's going to be what I'm going to do. And I'm going to ease in by walking the dog. Maybe by the time she's finished walking the dog, she feels like doing the presentation. Maybe not, but she's not like, I can't do anything today because of it. She's just shifted her priorities. So you just get them to think about other things rather than the anxiety or the fear that they're feeling. Yeah, I think like as well, one of the things I do with all my clients, like I said at the beginning, is having them um, really define their anxiety. So even when it's uncomfortable, even when it feels so heavy, even when, you know, your heart is pounding and your head is spinning, there's no surprises. You're like, I know, I know what is happening. It's okay. I know what's happening. And we, I, I always say, I call my clients like, the C, you become the CEO of your life which means you don't have to do things that someone else decided you had to do. All you have to do is make decisions for you and decisions from kindness for you, really. And so you get to decide like, oh, I actually am not in a state to go into the office today. And that's okay. 
that's totally fine. It's going to be better for everyone. Like, it, you know, it's like make decisions that are going to serve you. Unfortunately, what tends to happen is a lot of people pleasing or partner pleasing or parent pleasing or child pleasing or boss pleasing, all of that stuff. It's definitely something that I work on and teach my clients to unlearn. But really, for everyone listening, your number one responsibility in the world is to yourself. Well, they say that on the aeroplane, don't they? Put your own uh, mask on before you put the kid's mask on or your partner or whomever. Because you're no good if you're not looking after yourself. Yeah, and my husband, he always says to me, he's like, the path, what do you say, the the pathway to hell is paved with good intentions. It's kind of like, I remember when I did work in an office and someone would come into the office, like with the flu or the cold, and everyone's like, we don't want you in here because we're all going to get sick. Like, no one, just stay at home and work from home, you know? And it's like, but well, I wanted to come in and we had that meeting and I didn't want to let you down. And it's like, no, like, it's totally fine to take care Martyrdom. of yourself. <laughs> yeah, really. Martyrdom, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. It's, it's just, we've just been taught wrong about it. Yeah, yeah. And um, is there anything else that you would say to anybody listening about? Um, so a lot of our listeners are leaders in you know responsible positions or business owners, um, and they say you know I've got this anxiety because I've got so much going on. I'm I'm, I'm leading teams. I'm running businesses. I've got children. I'm I'm literally because these are overachievers, right? We're in that bracket. What would you say to them if? they are having those moments where they just go I just can't do it all I'm just oh what would you say um you know is meditation a good thing or the exercise or other than you know trying to get away from thinking about the anxiety what 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 else would you coach them on so really the work that I do with people is like proactive so we're not waiting in the moment to like see what happens and then be like shit I need to stop everything and meditate that's like the last thing that I teach (laughs) it's really like we make decisions ahead of time for their schedule so that it's built in and it's reasonable. Like when people come to me and they're like, I've got 20 things to do today. I'm like, no, you're going to do zero because you're going to spin and overwhelm. You're going to jump in and out of things. You're going to try and multitask. You're going to end up with low quality work that then you need to work into the evenings to make up. But like, no, I really like we make how we make decisions and how we set ourselves up for the week is super important. And when we tell ourselves, I have to do all the things, we're, it's like choosing to invite overwhelm into our life. Like we just don't need to do that. Um, so really proactively, I would have people, I would, I would challenge people and say those 20 things that you're saying that you're going to do, how many did you actually get done? Because typically it's going to be less than five. So what if instead we put eight things on your calendar and you've got all eight things done? Wouldn't that be better off? And I teach people how to speed up, right? And get more done in less time. And we do that by slowing down, building their relationship with their words so that they know how to do things when they say they're going to do them, being realistic, managing their relationship with anxiety, people pleasing perfectionism. So the most common problem that I see in leaders and high achievers is it's kind of like we've been taught in school to like do all the things and then no one pulled us aside and said, now you're an adult, you're going to have family and you're going to have social life and you're going to have all these bills and all these different jobs that you're going to be managing as well. You don't need to give all of your hustle to your day job. And what happens is you get smarter in your brain. So you also do, it doesn't take as much for you to get the outcomes. So we're still showing up like amateurs 
to this adulthood. And then because of that, we're making these pressured decisions and hustling and failing and fucking up and then making it mean that we aren't capable. And it's just like, it's all needs to be flipped back again. And they say no is a sentence. Yes. Yes. No is a sentence. Yeah. Yes. Maybe we all need to start saying no. Because you're right, the people pleasing does it just takes over, doesn't it? You want to be liked, you want to be part of it. But actually what you're doing is probably causing your own anxiety because it's that overwhelm of having to spin all those plates. No is a sentence. Yes, and I can promise you as someone like a former, I even have a podcast on it about how I used to say yes to everything and, and learning to say no. I have so much better relationships for it. I have such a better business for it. I have such better like help. Like saying no is, it's it puts simple rules around everyone and everything i'll give even an example of when i worked in corporate i would answer the phone whenever my family rang i'd be like yep i'll answer whenever i'll just go out and chat with them and i want to be there for them 100 percent. and i when i started my business i did that for a long time as well and then suddenly i started to get busier and busier and now i put my phone on airplane mode most of the time and i and i just said to my family i'm going to call you like lunchtime monday wednesday friday and that's when we'll chat. And now they don't try and call me. So they're not wasting their time trying to call me, getting upset. We know we're going to speak. We're on top of it. It's just build that boundary. Now I've done the same thing with my friends. I used to always be available for my friends. Now my friends know I'm going to call them. Again, it just like you set the expectation and you teach people how to treat you. And I actually have better relationships because of that honesty. Instead of answering the call to my mom when I was like in the middle of something and I, and I felt like I should and then being, you know, distracted and not as present and maybe even short. And instead it's like we have the best conversations because I've created space for them. And if she says, I can't this Friday, then I know not to. I'm not like, well, she's, she's a bit, she doesn't care about me. I'm like, yeah, go have lunch with your friend. I'll speak to you. You know, it's just really setting, setting those criteria and teaching people how to treat you and, and people pleasing. I always say, and this is going to sound really harsh, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, it builds fake relationships. It's like a lie. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really love football. And then like hating going to the game. And then what relationship is that going to be anyway? So I really am quite passionate about the people pleasing one. Definitely. Yeah. I've loved talking to you, Vicky. Whereabouts can people come and find more about, about you? Yeah, so they can, I actually have a free fuck anxiety guide, which breaks down like the exact five steps to ask to discover what your anxiety is and to ask to discover why it's shown up right there and then. So they can go to vickilouise.com forward slash guide. It's V-I-K-K-I louise.com um, forward slash guide. And also I really recommend the podcast. It's short, punchy episodes built to like move the needle every single week. And you know, I just have like amazing feedback from people all over the world that it's like changed their lives, which I love. That's the goal. Amazing. And so <laughs> it's F asterisk CK anxiety and get SH asterisk T done. I'm also like, I'm on Instagram at Vicky Louise underscore 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 if people want, but I would start with the guide, and the podcast. And then if you want to see me in some videos, the Instagram is also available. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I'm sure that's just been a real eye-opener. You could talk about anxiety for days, couldn't you? But I think that that's a really nice, wrapped up in a bow, perfect sort of synopsis. And like I say, if people need more details, they can come and seek you out. 
Yes, thank you so absolutely. much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, and I thank can you. see why you're really successful with what you do. So thank you. Yeah, I was saying to you as well, thank you so much. So fun uh, to come and get the opportunity. I'm really, I think there's just unfortunately a lot of confusing misinformation. And so thank you for inviting me to come no, and speak. It's great. And it's, re it's a really beautiful segue because we've already covered the people pleasing and boundaries. So this is, this, is, this is just a perfect subject to sort of go on from there. So yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Thanks so much. And for anybody listening, um, we'll put all of the links that Vicky's just said in, um, in the links all below so you can go and uh, seek Vicky out. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. I hope that's been really valuable for you. And uh, stay safe and stay safe.